This episode is sponsored by our friends at Fujifilm North America. Their X-Series digital cameras and lenses may just give you that creative edge you're looking for in your portraits and events. You'll find everything from 40 megapixel image quality to 40 frames per second bursts, plus unique in-camera film simulation modes and effortless usability. Click the link in the episode description to find the full range. There has never been a better time to invest in your passion, so make sure to click the link. Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Hey everyone, today's episode is from the 12-week startup that's currently happening over at SueBriceEducation.com. Every Tuesday, I go live with a special guest to coach you through the weekly topics and challenges, and we record it for you as a bonus episode to listen to. If you want to be part of the live coaching and question and answer session that we do every week, head over to SueBriceEducation.com slash live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. You can join in on the support that we have there to help photographers take their business to the next level. Also, if you aren't part of the 12-week startup yet and want access to all of the weekly life-changing content that Sue has created for you, head over to SueBriceEducation.com and sign up there. Okay, let's start the show. Just a quick heads up that you'll be hearing me refer to images and that we're looking at images. So obviously you won't be able to see those photos. However, if you want to see all of the images that we refer to, make sure to log in to SueBriceEducation.com where you can watch the whole thing because we actually recorded this live and did it on video through Zoom with our guest speakers. Okay, let's get started. Week 11 of the 12-week startup, we are starting to get towards the end and I wanted to say that if you are just still working through some of the weeks, don't feel badly about that. Don't give yourself a hard time. Just make a list, you know, talk it through, whatever it is that you do that helps you to be more successful about, you know, for achieving things that you need to do. Make sure you're focusing on that. What is it that you truly need to do right now? Do you need to build your portfolio? Do you need to get more people in the door? Do you need to hone in on your marketing materials? all of the above, try not to let it get you too overwhelmed. Just start one step at a time. If you can do one thing every day, uh, you, you'll just like, the next thing you know, you'll be so far ahead of where you were today if you just keep doing one step ahead every day. And, and we're going to do this again. This isn't the last time that we're going to do the 12-week startup. You can obviously do it at your own pace at any time, but we are going to continue to do another round of the startup. So don't worry. But our goal is for you to finish this. Sue's goal, our team's goal is for you to be where you want to be with your business, to achieve your goals. Nothing makes our team happier. 
obviously it's just such a great thing for you when you can just you know, have those clients regularly and have a sustainable income as a photographer. If you're someone who is already there and you're just, you know, improving and just continuing to build up your sale, your average sales, awesome. But if you're someone who's like, oh my gosh, I'm still trying to quit my job and blah, blah, blah. I've been there. I was in your shoes. All of the stories that you hear on the portrait system, all of the stories that you see, you know, in the Sue Rice Education Facebook group, everyone was where you are. Everyone starts somewhere. Just remember that. It's all about taking one step forward. Okay, so week 11. Now, if you have ever listened to anything that I talk about, you know, as far as um, Photoshop and retouching and editing, you know that I hire out my retouching. I'm not good at it. Uh, it's not my superpower. I don't enjoy it whatsoever. But that doesn't mean that I can't be a successful photographer. It's kind of like Sue, or not, Sue and I always do our weekly chat just about what the things, the points that she really wants me to hone in on with you guys. And one of the things she said is it seems that people either have a love or hate relationship with Photoshop. Either you truly love it or you hate it. I'm one of those people who I kind of hate it. I don't hate what it can do for me. It is like the most brilliant, amazing program ever. I mean, it's just so intuitive and it's so just, you can do things like beyond the imagination when it comes to, to photos, you know, when it comes to Photoshop. So I love the program that it is. It's just not how my brain works and it's not something that comes easy to me. Now, if you're out there, like which camp are you in? Do you love it and it comes pretty easy to you or you just like get super stressed out about it and hate doing it? Because one of the things is that that we were talking about, um, Sue and I, is that a lot of people never master Photoshop, and that's okay. But there are certain elements of it that you really, really, really should learn because it's going to make your life easier as a photographer. It can save you time. I mean, there's just, there are certain features that if you're going to learn anything, we want you to learn certain specific features when it comes to Photoshop. Because yes, there always is retouching, but sometimes you need to do something right away. You know, and sometimes maybe your retoucher doesn't do things exactly how you want it and you want to fix a couple things. Like there's always, it's just so important to know how to use certain tools. And if you're someone who has the whole hate things, like Ashley Lindsay said, she does not like it. She hates it. Daniela says, I have a love and hate. Cat said, I have both love and hate. I mean, some people say they absolutely love it. You know, it just really, oh gosh, it's so funny how there's really just two camps of people about it. Ray said, I'm learning to love Photoshop. Viviana said, I hate it. It's just one of those things that is a necessity, but you do not have to master it. And I came out the gate once I decided I was going to raise my prices and I was focusing on portraits and I was leaving weddings and all of this. I raised my prices to the point where I had my retouching costs built into my packages. So I didn't have to stress out about it. And I'll tell you what, if I was, if I had to do my own retouching, I don't know that I would have, I ever would have gotten to the point that I'm at now with the level of success that I'm at now with photography the amount of time it takes me to edit photos, like I would have to add on like another 20 hours of editing time for each session. And I'm not even exaggerating when it comes to that. That is absolutely how it would have been for me. So retouching for me has been an absolute lifesaver. 
we do have, if you're someone out there who's like, yeah, I totally need to retouch or have a retoucher hire someone, we do have a list of retouchers in the Subrice Education Facebook members group. In the files section, you'll see that there's a list there of different retouchers. And it's really all about finding someone who, well, some people have trained their own retoucher. But if you're just like looking for, for someone random, it's all about asking them to do examples for you and being very, very specific about what it is you want them to do. Retouchers cannot read your mind and they're not always perfect. So it's just like if you if you have someone who retouches your photos and you don't love it, talk to them about what you would want them to do different, differently. Don't just write them off. Um, you know, sometimes it's a personality thing. Like my retoucher is, is I, I adore her and I love her personality. And she's great. And if there's ever something that is a little off, I'm like, hey, would you mind, you know, fixing this, whatever. And and that's just, you know, how it is. And Paul actually just asked, how can you guarantee consistency with your retoucher? You can't. I mean, just in my experience, it's it's not always going to be consistent. And it's not like I just send my photos off to my retoucher and then I'm done with them and then that's it. I put my own, I have my own preset that I use on every single photo of mine in Lightroom. I do that first. And I, I do any other sort of exposure correction or whatever myself. I export as JPEGs and then I send them to her. She retouches based on how she knows I like it. You know, like she does the backdrop editing for me and any extension that needs to be done. She does skin retouching. She does any body warping if needed. Hair, um, hair flyaways. Evening out some skin tones, taking away blemishes, that sort of thing. And then she sends it back to me. I still go through every single photo and make my own little tweaks. And again, what I pay and and the time she saves me is absolutely just so priceless to me that I don't mind going through each photo again. It takes me about an hour for, you know, a 20, 25 photo session, you know, to go through and and re-edit and do what I want to do. But I'm okay with that. Like that just doesn't bother me. Now, if every single time everything was like way off, then that's probably not going to be a good match if we've had a conversation about it and things aren't getting better. But I'll tell you, the best two things I've ever outsourced for me is retouching and also um, accounting, bookkeeping. Ugh, those two things I started outsourcing just straight away with my business and I would never want to do these two things myself because I know how important they truly are and how much time it saves me that I can be spending marketing and just doing all, all of the other things I need to do for my business. Okay, so I have someone very special with me today that is going to help coach you through some of this stuff. Her name is Christina Shirk. She was one of our Portrait Masters Live speakers and she did you know retouching she talks all about retouching she she's doing in the process of doing a course for us for the portrait master store she really knows her stuff and I wanted to bring her on just to talk with you about some of the tools so let's say you are someone like me who wants to outsource all of this what are the things that you still need to know how to do so we're going to talk a little bit you know through some of that and I see there are tons of questions coming in so we're going to get to question and answer as well but I want to bring Christina on and just kind of I want to get her opinion on the tools that she thinks everyone really truly needs and in in my opinion the tools that 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 I truly think that you know have been really helpful for me it's clone stamp it's healing tool it's dodge and burn it's knowing how to extend your background I mean, those are really the things that I use on a consistent basis. Um, there's also Warp and Liquify. Liquify I use quite a bit. 
for certain things. So those are really the things that I I would be struggling if I didn't know how to use those tools. But let's welcome Christina on and see what she has to say. So Christina, thank you for being here with me today on week 11 of the 12-week startup. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. Good. I was just writing down like so many notes as you were doing our intro today because I think there's like so many like good points that you just brought up about like where do you as a new business startup person put your energy and I would definitely there's a part of me because I have the retouching business but I also have a headshot business I know the importance of automation I know the importance of you know hiring out like you said and um I can totally empathize from both sides of the brain. The retoucher, when I have my retoucher hat on and when I have my professional photographer business hat on, like it's just completely different. And like you said, you you know, I had the luxury of learning Photoshop four years full-time in college. Mm -hmm. People starting a business for photographers, they do not have that luxury. And so I can completely empathize with people and I, I should have mentioned that you do you are a photographer. Like you have a very successful headshot studio. I think you said you shifted, you pivoted a little bit more towards the Photoshop education during the shutdown and COVID and all of this. But you like so just so people know, Christina does have a very successful headshot studio as well. So it's not like she's just coming in as a retoucher without having the other experience of of having real clients and, and that sort of thing. So I just wanted yeah, to make for sure. 15 people know years. That. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been doing headshots for 15 years. Here's our tiny little studio, but it's fine it. for headshots. Someone actually put in the comments <laughs> that your studio is beautiful. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Um, it's just, it's a shoebox right now, but it's what I need to do headshots. Um, <laughs> but you were mentioning like, what are the couple of things that like you really need to focus on when you are starting a business? And, and to be honest, a big thing that I do want to mention is Lightroom is getting more and more robust in Mm -hmm. its photo Mm -hmm. editing program. Every time they come out with an update to Lightroom, it's becoming better and better at retouching photos. It's so true. And, And you can do a lot. I have an entire course on Sue's platform. I have an entire course on retouching portraits in Lightroom alone no Photoshop, no nothing. You can do dodge and burn in Lightroom. You can accentuate eyes. You can add lashes in Lightroom. Yes. Ooh, yes. This is this is awesome. Um, I use Lightroom a lot. Like that's my my main thing is Lightroom. So I I organize my photos into Lightroom. I call them that way. I find it to be so easy. And then I add my preset, my color tones, and all of that in Lightroom. And the only time I open them into Photoshop is to do any sort of dodging and burning, clone stamping, skin, and liquefy. And part of me is like, man, maybe I just need to really, like you said, it's just getting so much more sophisticated in Lightroom. So I'm going to have to watch what you, I'll have to check that out because Lightroom to me is like, I absolutely love it. So it's interesting to hear you say that. And, you know, you mentioned dodge and burn and clone stamp. And those are two things that are actually possible to do in Lightroom without having to pop over to Photoshop. The one thing that isn't currently possible is going to be that liquify. Right. Um, One thing that I 
you know, if you are popping over to liquefy, I would highly recommend people look into the face aware liquefy yes. tool. Yes. It's amazing. Life saving. Um, I've done a entire hour long class on the the AI behind it and the powerhouse that it is. Yes. And how there's multiple different facial recognition softwares that are being applied to your image. And then it knows where the eyes are. You can change the eye height. You can change the eye width. You can change how big they are or small they are. You can change the nose, make it shorter. You can bring in the cheeks and the jawline. And what's amazing when you're using those features or those sliders in face aware liquify is that, um, you have, if you're bringing in the jawline, for example, because of the AI technology that's placed behind it, the features are going to be protected as they bring in the jawline on the side. Right. Which is great, right? It's yes. what we all want. Um, you can bring down the hairline even. You can do all of these different things just literally with a slider. Yeah. So, so like, you know, the amount- and- yeah. The amount of time that it has saved me, like I've had a client say uh, one eye is smaller than the other, which naturally is normal in all human beings. We all have one eyes that are different shape. But some people, it's more obvious than others. And I was thinking as I was using the liquefy face aware and just like one tiny little slider would open her eye more. That would have taken me seriously hours to do on every single photo. And it took me like 30 seconds and I was done. And it was incredible. I'm glad you brought that up. And did you know it works on video? It does? Yeah. I did not know that. Wow. That's incredible. So you can just stop the video and then open it into liquefy? Like, how would that work? You open up the video in Photoshop. You turn the video into a smart object. Ah. And then you take that into liquefy. You apply your liquefy filters and then it renders through every frame of the video in Photoshop. It takes a long time to process and it's very processor intensive, but it, it can be done. So if you have somebody that's like, oh, my nose is so big, which would be me complaining about that, you know, you've yeah. got that opportunity to say, well, if that's something you would like, we can make that change in Photoshop if that's one of your requests. Wow, that is definitely incredible. Yeah, it is, you know, and and like you said, you do have the teaching, you know, you have the video about Lightroom. And, you know, for people who missed your, I was just thinking about this, for people who missed your talk, your presentation for the Portrait Masters Conference, you can still purchase the Platinum Pass for the conference and have that conference for life. So if you missed it, or if you missed any of, any of the other great st- speakers, you can still get that conference. So for people who are wondering. It's so worth it. I was sitting here at my desk, literally watching it as I was working the other classes. And I was just like bawling because of how incredibly moving these presentations were. And then it came to mind and I was like, Photoshop, really? I no, no, that. no. It was like- <laughs> so good, though. It was so good. Everyone was saying that. Like, you seriously brought it. Everyone absolutely it- loved it. And like I said, I didn't get to watch the whole thing because I was prepping for the next speaker or whatever. But I was just like, I kept going back to, you know, looking at it. I need to watch the whole thing in its entirety, but especially because everything you just said. But, you know, okay, yeah. a couple people are asking this question about why I, why I send JPEGs to my retoucher. And I think the reason is, is that, and this is, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Christina, because you know more about this than I do. 
The reason I don't set in raw is I do my own color correction and my preset and everything first. Then, you know, I don't really have anything to do. Once it's turned into JPEG, it's pretty much done other than, you know, the skin retouching and hair or whatever. And I, I think what I was thinking is that you would want it to be raw when you're editing for like color and exposure and that sort of thing. But I don't think it matters if it's JPEG or raw when it comes to like taking, removing zits and like fixing hair. And it's just so much easier and takes up so much less space for me to just send her the JPEGs. We have a system in my Dropbox folder. Am I wrong about that? Um, well, if you're going to be doing all of those tweaks on the front end, um, that's fine. Uh, you can send them. My preference would be um, to send, instead of exporting from Lightroom as a JPEG, I would export as a PSD file. Okay. It's just got more data. Okay. Um, and then I would send that P that flattened PSD to the photographer. Or you can actually export as a TIFF as well. It's just ways okay. of giving them the most information in the file. And then this kind of brings on another issue that if you are going to be exporting your retouching work to someone else, you need to know what color spaces are. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. you need to know how to apply them to your images right. um, specifically. So uh, the two most widely known ones are going to be Adobe 1998 and um, sRGB. sRGB right. is a color space that's specifically made to look best on screens. But if you are printing... Um, and I think, when did I talk about this? I feel like I talked about this in the Zoom after my Portrait Masters Oh, yeah, class. in the happy hour? Yeah, yeah, I think I had this question there. Um, you know, there are multiple different color spaces. Some of them are larger, some of them are smaller. Um, you want to protect as many colors as you can within your image. Right. And the way you do that is by applying a larger color space. So you, so actually the largest one is pro photo. But if you've ever taken a photo that has pro photo color space applied to it and uploaded it online, all of a sudden it's going to end up looking dark, looking green, looking dingy, and all the highlights are going to be gone. And all of a sudden people are going to be like, what just happened right, to my image? Right. This looks awful. Right. Um, so if, the, if anything like that happens, it, it may be a profile mismatch or a color profile issue. So for, for, the, for the retoucher that you choose, should they be giving you this information? Like, okay, this is how you need to send me the files and this is the color profile I use? Or is it kind of up to the photographers to ask these questions? What do you think? It's definitely a conversation that needs to be had on the front end of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. How do you want me to, like from the retoucher, if I had my retoucher hat on, how do you want me to deliver your finals? But if you, if you as the photographer are delivering a, a JPEG to your retoucher, mm -hmm. there's a high possibility that the JPEG that you are delivering is already in sRGB. Right. And sRGB color space is the smallest of the color spaces. Yeah. So yeah. when you go and try to print an sRGB on a printer that has a much larger color space capability, 
you take that sRGB color space and you end up printing it, you're going to end up with banding. You're going to end up with issues because there just aren't enough colors, especially if your image includes a lot of subtle gradients. Right. So, so I should be not doing <laughs> what I'm doing right now is what you're telling me. <laughs> I mean, I've printed my photos for years and I've never had an issue. Um, good. Okay, good. So I don't know. Oh, gosh. Maybe I need to rethink this. Well, I think it all depends on how the final images are going to be viewed and used. Right. Um, if if most of your clients are coming in like my clients and saying, I just need a, a headshot for my business website. Yeah. Then I'm just going to keep most of my work in SRGB. Right. Like that's what I'm doing. That's mostly, fine. So yeah. Yeah. Um, if you come in and somebody wants a 40 by 60 portrait printed on their wall above their fireplace, that might be the time to think. Okay, maybe I need to elevate the the tweaks or the the settings so that I get the best possible end product to give them. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess. Someone, someone I think, I just want to make the f- clarification that the face-aware liquify tool is in Photoshop. It's not in Lightroom. Someone had asked if that was a separate plugin, and I just want to make sure people know that that is in Photoshop. It is not yet in Lightroom. That's the only thing Christina was saying. Really, that's the only thing that Lightroom doesn't have that capability yet. Um, but I'm assuming at some point they'll make it happen, but... And it's hard to find inside the liquify dialog box inside Photoshop. It's on the left-hand side. You have multiple tools, and most of you are going to be familiar with the forward warp tool, which yeah. is the regular one that we all use in liquify. If you scroll down, you're going to see the little face symbol, and that little face symbol will open up face-aware liquify for you. Right. And the face-aware liquify is going to have all these other settings that you can use. Yeah, cool. So someone wants to know how to make skin look beautiful and not spend too long. She said, let's see, how to not do the same skin retouches over and over and over again on the same face. So I guess this kind of leads me into what are the, the tools that you think people really need to learn? And then how to not spend like hours and hours on one photo, I guess? I mean, I know that's kind of such a loaded question and probably not something we can cover you know, today specifically, but what do you think? What are the things that people really need to know? Um, okay. So there are a couple things. I think everybody needs to understand masking as a concept. Okay. Uh, yep. It's important to be able to make adjustments to your images, but then have those adjustments only be visible on certain areas of your photo. Right. And that's where masking comes into play. So that's the first thing. And adjustments kinds of goes kinds of kind of goes hand in hand with masking, right? You make right. an adjustment, but you only want that adjustment to be visible on a section of your image, not the whole image. Mm-hmm. In that situation, you're going to need to know how masking works. So that would be the first one. Actions are going to be something that's really going to supercharge supercharge your workflow in yeah. terms of productivity. So having actions for a lot of different things is going to be important. Real quick, before you move on from that, I, I wonder if some people, because someone asked, are actions in Photoshop are something I'm looking into? Thoughts on that? I don't, are you talking about actions that you need to buy? Or are you talking about setting up specific, like I have an action that flattens my image. I have an action that 
applies sharpness to the eyes. Like I have all of these things. They're not things I purchased. They're things I have saved as something that I can just do a one click to. Can you kind of just go, you know, specify that if that's what you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, it's both, right? You can. So for for example, on my website, sharkpixel.com slash store, there are multiple actions that are free to download that that will that will increase your productivity in photoshop okay just because i have actions that are up there does not mean you if it all depends on what your proficiency is with photoshop and if you want to invest the time in learning to create the actions yourself if that's the case then you can make all of these actions yourself that literally allow you to press one button on your keyboard and you know, an entire, I have one action that's free to download. That's called my portrait in a pinch action. It does everything that you need to do to edit a portrait. It puts it in tiny, neat folders in your layered palette. It has something for skin smoothing. It has redness removal. It has eye whitening. It has nice. It has uh, highlight areas like adding contour. It has adding blush. It has adding lip color. And it, it, what it does is it's twofold. It allows you to do all of these things super fast because all the layers have been created for you already and you don't have to do the mundane tasks of creating each one of those layers. And I think it's something like 150 steps that's in this one action that plays. Wow. And, but the other thing is that it gives you an outline. It says, these are the things I'm going to tackle in this retouch. And if it's not noted in this la- in these layer folders, I'm not going to hand- I'm not going to tackle it. And what that does is it keeps you on task. Like yeah. for me, I can look at the clock and be like, "Oh, I've been working on the same image for two and a half hours. <laughs> right. This is not conducive to running a business." No, right? No. So, like having the action that's there and having it all set up and organized is going to be really beneficial on keeping you on task. Yeah. So you know, it all comes down to where do you invest your time and, and your learning? And that would be the decision of, do I download actions or do I create them myself? Because I will tell you, creating actions yourself is not an easy task. There right. are, it's very temperamental. If you do the wrong thing or you hit the wrong button, your whole action's not going to work. And it's very frustrating to create the actions yourself. Totally. I still have like it's so bad. I, I feel like I need someone to come do a Photoshop overall overhaul on my like actions and everything. I have, I've, I have like flatten try one, flatten try two, because <laughs> fl- I messed it up the first two times. So I know that the one that's going to work is flatten t- try three. Like, if I had known, I could like just download all of these actions. I mean, seriously, that's how like behind I am when it comes to yeah. <laughs> you can edit actions as well. I know. I just, I'm just going to keep throwing more word vomit at you. <laughs> you poor thing. You can edit actions. And then you can also take those two tries, the try one and try two. You can select them and drag them and drop them on the trash can. And then you'll only have yeah. the edit try three. And then you can just rename that flatten. Right? Totally. And, and the, you have yeah, just yeah, the yeah, one. For sure. And you know, that's not to say I shouldn't be so hard on myself. Like I know how to retouch an image and a face and you know, whatever. It's just 
the way in which I'm organizing it and the way in which I'm doing it probably isn't the most efficient. And so I think that yeah. there are a lot of That's people like a lot of out people. there. And For sure. Yeah. It's like if we can just hone in on that efficiency, that I think is going to – so like you said, download free actions. Like – that is there just, tons yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a great way to save some time for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that everybody has their ways of doing things. And if it works for you, then it works for you. Yeah. Don't like overthink, am I doing this wrong? Because I sit here and I watch other retouchers teach and it is not the way that I do things. Mm-hmm. But there, but the thing about Photoshop is that there are so many ways to get to the same yes. end point yeah. that, it, that it's totally okay right. to do things in a different way than somebody else. Yeah. Someone asked um, if actions are available for Lightroom as well. And the way that I've done it, I, I, for me, I guess it's always been called a preset for Lightroom. So like, like I said, I have my own preset that I've developed based on my style of photos that I apply to every single photo that comes into my my Lightroom and it's literally one click. So that is something that I created and saved and like tweaked over time to make it exactly how I want it. All I do is one click it and it's done. So I don't know if that would be considered the same thing as an action. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, I think that that's great that you have a specific action, uh, a specific preset that gets applied on import. I think it's because it helps with that consistency issue that we were talking about earlier. Um, So definitely presets are going to be very similar to actions um, in their, at kind of the base level. Right. right. Um, More can be done with actions that can be done with presets. Okay. But, um, Someone was asking, can you show us an example of an action in your Photoshop? Is that possible to share your screen yeah. and show us maybe um, a photo and what, you know, one of your actions might yeah. look like? Yes, I'm going to share my screen. All right, cool. Yeah, and and someone asked you about how to fix banding. That's something that I would love to talk about too. I know I know people struggle with that. I do on my black backdrop sometimes. So we'll come back to that, but now, now that I see okay. that you have your screen shared here. Yeah. So, um, so there are multiple different actions, right? Um, so for example, I'm working on this image. Okay. So I've been working on the skin, um, for this image. And, um, what I would say is that if I go into my actions palette, you can see that everything is has you know a bunch of colors or everything. This is the reason why this looks like this is because I am currently in button mode. Okay. Up yep. here. So if I turn button mode off, I'm I'm extremely dyslexic. So tiny little font um, is not good for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, real quick, Christina, if you're out, if you're listening to this in podcast form and you're not watching, if you go on to SueBriceEducation.com, this is all archived for you in the week 11 of the portrait or of the 12 week startup. So if you're wondering like, oh, I can't see you, you will have this for you. All you have to do is just go over to the website where you can watch it if you are a member. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Just want to put that out there. No worries. Okay. So um, for example, why is this not letting me go? Because this is locked. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hold on. Yep, no Stand worries. Stand by, please. So 
someone else wanted to know how to go from RAW to JPEG in Lightroom without exporting. Gosh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there is a way to do that. So to convert, no, you have to export. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah, you can create a virtual copy, but all that's going to do is create a a duplicate of the raw image that you're working on. Right, right. Um, So we've got our background image here, Um, and so if for for any reason I wanted to like say remove skin redness, um, I have an action right here for that. So I can come down here to the bottom and I can press play on this action. And what it's going to do is um, remove redness from the skin. And the way that I've created this action is just an adjustment layer. And then I've isolated the red tones. Okay. And I've taken magenta out of the red tones. If I can, if I zoom, can you guys see that or not on the zoom? Um, Yeah, yeah, we can see it. Mm Mm-hmm. If I scroll in like that, oh no, do you no, see no, we can't bigger? see that part. No. Okay, um, so I have this uh, magenta. I've decreased the magenta, but then what? The other thing that I've done in this action is I'm gonna come in here. So I made the adjustment layer. I set the uh, I set settings to the current adjustment layer. Then I um, created a mask to the adjustment layer, and then I only made this redness removal visible where the underlying image was skin tone. Oh my gosh. So if I hold down <laughs> option or alt and I click on the mask, this is the mask that was made for me um, by default within the action. That's why I'm saying these actions are extremely powerful. Right. So all I did was click a button, right? Um, yeah. And I got rid of that redness. And I'm not saying that this image needed redness removal because it kind of didn't, but just as an example, um, let me just do that again. I'm going to delete this shark pixel redness removal folder. I'm going to select my background and then I'm just going to play my action redness removal. And there you go. So instead of going through all of these steps, whoops, all of these steps, hand every single time I need to remove redness from an image. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done it. I've automated it all. And, and clicking one button is really truly something that if we can do that for a lot of things when it comes to editing, whether it's batch, you know, doing our exposure or, you know, color tones or whatever, batching that in Lightroom or how, like anytime you can click one button, life is just going to be so much easier and save us so much time. But someone had asked, um, you mentioned masking and actions that are two things to for sure focus on for people who are, you know, not necessarily want to master Photoshop, but just have some skills. What are some other key areas that you think people need to focus on? So people are going to hate me when I say this. The concept of frequency separation will change your life. Mm. And it is by no means an easy concept to master, but it is so, so, so worth it. What makes it better, do you think, than like just the traditional like clone stamp, healing, dodge and burn, that sort of thing? What makes it better is that First of all, it's applicable on skin. It's applicable on clothing wrinkles. It's a, it's applicable anywhere on hair. It's it, it the 
applications for frequency separation, once you understand the bedrock of how it is, will revolutionize every single type of retouching that you do. Not just portraits, not just faces, not just fabric. It's so important to learn because of how it works. So how it works is you're basically dividing your image into the color data and you're doing that. Let me move this. And, you know, I don't want this to come off as holier than thou in any way because I, I need to tell you guys that I only adopted frequency separation about two years ago into my workflow. And I am kicking myself that I did not do it earlier. So learn from my mistakes and just rip off the Band-Aid and learn how to do it because of how revolutionary it is. So the way Photoshop works is it gets really frustrated with the tiny little details that you have. And those tiny little details are all of that poor structure that you see on this, on this layer here. Okay. This is all the texture of your image and frequency separation. One of the reasons why it's so frustrating to learn is because low frequency and high frequency is really difficult to understand when you're an, when you're an introductory Photoshop user. Mm -hmm. But what it's basically doing is it's taking all of the data in your image and it's dividing it into color and tone data and texture and detail data. And you are the one that goes in and decides where to cut the hot dog. So all of your, (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. If you squint your eyes at an image that you're working on, what you're basically doing is removing the texture and detail from what your eye sees and what's left is the color. Right. So the, the act of being able to actually divide those two elements of your image makes a huge difference because then this is much, much easier for Photoshop to learn how to, to, to do yeah. than this. Okay, because it's just too much going on and Photoshop really struggles to not only blend the color perfectly, but also blend the texture and make it look as if there was nothing there to begin with. Right. So this frequency separation, it's extremely hard to grasp the concept. But once you grasp the concept, it will literally revolutionize all of your retouching. And I just, let me see if I can find. Well, it's interesting because, you know, like you said, there are so many different ways to do things. You know, some some retouchers just don't even talk about frequency separation at all. And their retouching is really beautiful. And some people swear by it. You know, so like you said, there are so many different ways to do things. And I think it's just about figuring out what works best for you. And sometimes it does mean learning things that are a little bit harder in order to make your your life easier once you learn it, which it sounds like frequency separation might kind of meet that description. You know, here's a here's a very good example of that. I used to swear by dodge and burn. I was like, dodge and burn is the way to go when it comes to skin retouching. That's what you have to do. Um, and people people would come and they would ask me, how long do you spend? I'm going to bring up an image where. I did some frequency separation. How long do you spend on 
an image. And I was always completely embarrassed to answer that question because it would take me four to six hours. Yeah. For for close in beauty work, dodging and burning, it would literally take me forty six uh, four to six hours. And this is not the right image that I want. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a very cool image. That's kind of where I'm at, like where it would take me an embarrassingly amount of a, an embarrassingly long amount of time if I was personally working on, you know, images yeah. one at a time. Yeah. Unless it was just a very basic, like you said, headshot situation where there's not a whole lot of, you know, just, you know, a whole lot of editing if this person has really smooth skin and that sort of thing. So... You know, I, I yeah. do think a lot of it depends on the specific image too, but. Absolutely. Um, and there are some really good plugins out there. Like portraiture is not to be. Underestimated. Like, just dismissed. <laughs> yeah. Underestimated. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, it's got some real power to it. So that's also something that can be purchased. But so once I started implementing frequency separation into my skin work, it drastically, drastically cut down my time. And here's an example of an image that uh, I used frequency separation on the fabric. Because if we look at the beginning image. Um, wow, that's the, a beautiful image. Thank you. Uh, it, was, it was really fun. It was really fun to make. But if you look at this beginning image, I was really disappointed with the fabric that the d- dress designer decided to make the, these areas out. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't flowing the way all of Sue Bryce's fabrics flow all the time. I, <laughs> right. was, I was upset. So what I did was oh, yeah, I used frequency separation to go in and smooth out all of those wrinkles. Okay. This is a mess. Please don't pay attention to my layers here, but I'm trying to get down to the frequency separation. While you're looking for that, I just want to answer a question that came in where someone said, how can I best work with a retoucher if I'm still trying to find out, figure out my own style? And here's the thing. If, if that's the case, the re, my retoucher doesn't define my style whatsoever. All my retoucher is doing is fixing skin and, you know, hair flyaways and doing any warping if needed and extending background and helping me, you know, if I have any spots on the backdrop, like they aren't defining my style whatsoever. So don't let that kind of get in the way. They don't do any of my like color correction, my tones, my preset that I use. Whatever my retoucher is doing is going to be the same on every single photo, regardless of which style I'm sending them or what I'm sending to them. So don't let that get you in the get in the way of you beginning to work with a retoucher if you're still trying to work out your style. Absolutely. Like you said, once you get your images back from that retoucher, you go in and apply another hour's worth of editing to it. That's where the stylistic stuff should come in. Totally. Um, your your retoucher can be your workhorse and they can take care of the small mundane workhorse. stuff that you don't want to do. That's such a great you way know? to describe it. A workhorse. She's my workhorse. Totally. Yeah. Like she does the and bulk of everything that is just oh, so helpful. Yeah. And then your job um, is to create that that stylistic application to the images. And I, I personally think that that needs to be done after the retoucher has um, had their run over the image because allowing the retoucher to have access to all of the data, including the raw data, is going to help them do a better job at keeping uh, 
the integrity of the image to the point. Because if, if you happen to, and I don't know what your, um, what your work looks like, but if you're in Lightroom and you go and crunch those blacks up because that's your style, um, your retoucher might then try to find some detail within those blacks. And because you've crunched the blacks on the front end, it's going to be hard for the retoucher to get that detail or that data out of the blacks. So by, I still think everything that you're doing is important to do, but I think maybe flipping the order in which you apply your style right, right. Might, might help with the integrity of the images. But, but again, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're totally blowing out the shadows and it's a light and airy look in which case that would not be an issue. Right, right. So it really depends on, um, it, oh my God, it depends on so many different factors. But if I just look here at the frequency separation, um, you can see that I was able to remove all of the wrinkles in yeah. the fabric. Oh yeah, look at that. By just by using that specific um, technique. And that's why this that's why the frequency separation technique is so important. And I feel like a broken record now, um, <laughs> now that I'm a convert, um, and it slashes my dodge and burn time by, I would say I'm spending a third of the time doing dodge and burn that I used to. And that's so important. Again, all of it comes down to time. Like we're all looking for more time to spend with our family, more time to read books and watch Absolutely. movies and, you know, not be spending staring at a computer. So if this is something that yeah. in the end saves time, heck yeah, like sign me up for sure. Do you have any other, you know, examples of things that might help people just, you know, kind of save time or anything you think people should sh for sure know how to use? Like, you know, like the healing tool or um, i trying to think of any other sort of examples, you know, of tools that you think people should Make sure to know. Yeah, I think everybody needs to know how to use the healing brush, for sure. Um, it's it's super important, um, and it's going to help you just not only get rid of blemishes, but also it's going to allow you to um, to get rid of distracting elements in the background of your images right. and stuff like that. So you you really can't go wrong. Um, one thing that I would I'm going to take that one step further because I think it's really important for people to um, realize the the technology that's being written into some of these tools. So it's very uh, tip of the iceberg for me to say, learn the healing brush tool or learn the spot healing brush tool. When when really what like we don't get a new camera and um, pull it out of the box and throw the manual in the trash. And the same thing is kind of applicable for these tools. You can't just use a tool, you can't just select a tool in Photoshop and then start using it and expect it to work perfectly for you. Um, and so what I would implore people to do is um, not only learn a tool, but learn the right settings for that tool. So for example, um, the spot healing brush tool is getting extremely powerful and um, it it allows you to not have to sample before each time you fix something in Photoshop. 
But there are two different ways that I use this tool. I use it for flyaway hairs and crosshairs, but I also use it for blemishes. But when I'm using it on flyaway hairs, I change the mode from normal to replace, and I choose content aware for the type. But when I'm using it for blemishes, the mode is normal. I have the mode set to normal, and I have my type set to proximity match because it allows you to fix some of these blemishes and inconsistencies with the skin Mm -hmm. in an easier way. Now, some people are asking, how do you know when enough is enough? Like, when do you stop retouching? And, you know, so that it doesn't look overworked. Like, you don't want someone to look at your photo and think, oh, yeah, that was photoshopped. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is no real good answer to that question. The only thing that I can say is, Get in the habit of doing a lot of holding down option or alt and clicking on the eyeball next to your background layer. Mm-hmm. What that's going to allow you to do is preview the before and after states. And that act in itself by holding down option or alt and just clicking on that background layer is going to uh, allow you to see what you're doing. And to keep tabs on how far have I come? Right. Have I gone too far? I love that. That's such a good tip. Um, Have I gone too far? And the other thing is sleep on it. I will tell you that in a previous life, I used to model in mermaid tails and I don't do it anymore. (laughs) But one day I was retouching one of these images and I ended up making one of my chests (laughs) a size B and the other side of my chest a size double D and I didn't see it in the retouching. (laughs) I did not see it until the next morning. And I had already sent that image to the photographer and I had to send him a a freak out message saying, Oh my God, did you post it? Like I see this glaring issue. And then I had to, um, and then I had to totally re-edit it. So sleeping yeah, yeah, I love on that. your retouching is super important, especially if you're retouching late at night. Don't let that happen to you. Don't end up with two different sized tatas. Yeah, to I love that. Retouching. I love that. Okay, one last question for you. And we're running out of time here. And I know people could spend so much time asking you lots of questions. But people are wondering, what is the best technique to get rid of banding? And I know people have posted this in the SBE Facebook group before. Like, ah, what is this? And why is it in my photo? You know, how, what, what, was your, what would your technique be to get rid of any sort of banding? So on the front end, it goes back to that color space. The reason why there's banding is because there's just not enough color data in those gradients, right? It just goes from one color to the next color and there's no in between. And so if you are going to be um, retouching something, keep it in Adobe 1998 until you export that that final JPEG and then save that final JPEG as the sRGB version but don't do it to your layered PSD file. So that's the first thing. Okay. You can always save a version of, because the problem with color spaces is that you cannot go backwards. Um, the problem with color spaces is that it's a one-way street. You start right. with the biggest one and then you downgrade to Adobe 1998 and then you downgrade to sRGB, but it, you can't undo the change in color space because that data is ultimately lost for good. Same thing is you can't take a JPEG and turn it into a raw image. Right. Um, right. You can only go one way, right? Yeah. And so the, the workaround for banding, if you have problems with an image and you can't go back, is um, 
adding some noise to that background is going to help diminish the look of that banding. Oh, that's a good tip too. All right. Awesome. Very cool. Someone someone mentioned kind of at the beginning had a question that said, isn't it also all about your lighting? Like knowing your light will help you get the process started. I mean, clearly if your lighting is great and it's flat beauty light, if you're doing typical like client work for women, you know, just the everyday sort of woman, yes, getting your lighting right is going to help so much. But that doesn't mean you're done there. And again, we don't want to it you know change the way our clients look if that's not what they want we don't want to go overboard or whatever but there are some things that I mean for, for me like I have was I have puffy eyes I've had them since I was in preschool I hate it I've had people ask me if I got punched in the face if I'm tired like in my photos yes I want them to be cloned a little bit so that it's not the first thing people notice yes that is very important to me when someone's editing a photo of me Everyone has their own things that they want edited. And it's important to kind of get a grasp on that from your clients. And sometimes it's real easy because they'll be like, don't make my nose look big. Does my nose look big? And then you know to make sure (laughs) that maybe you're slimming their nose a little bit because they are super paranoid about that. Like every client is different. I've had clients who say like they want very minimal retouching. Please only just remove my zit, leave my scar. Like it's, you know, every client is going to be different. And it's up to you to really gauge that for each person. And also you can be, I love that. Um, I feel like we could talk for literally like, like 24 hours straight. I know. um, You could, there's two caveats that I would add to that. Absolutely. You need to ask them um, what they are interested in having removed. And, you know, are there any specific retouching requests that wouldn't normally be done that you would like us to address? Yes. Do not... (laughs) be forthcoming with the information of what you think should be changed because that's the surefire way to have that client never call you again for an additional shoot. (laughs) Um, If you say, oh, and look, your nose is kind of long. Let's fix that up. Right. No, because they will walk out of the shoot more self-conscious than when they walked in. So please don't have that happen. I've heard, you know, there's photographers out there whose tagline is fix your face. I would never... I would know anyway. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that a lot of times after doing headshots for 15 years, um, anticipating what you think the person walking into your studio is going to be most self-conscious about is a really good way to end up having that client, uh, loving the images. So if I have somebody that's a little bit like, let's say I have the CEO of a company walk in and he is five foot two. If I actually crouch down and shoot him from below in the image, it gives the illusion that he's taller than he is, even though it's just a headshot. Yep. And all of a sudden he will be like, these are the best photos that have ever been taken. <laughs> right. Um, and you don't have to tell, oh, well, it's because you were short and I decided to shoot you from below, making you making the illusion that you are taller than you actually are. No, you don't need to say that. Right. You just say, well, then you called the right person for the job or something like that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. But exactly. You'll get lifelong clients that way. And, and sometimes clients make like some pretty crazy, ridiculous requests. Like I had a client who's like, can you edit the text off of my flip flop? And I'm like, Sure. You know what I mean? Like there are people, no, I don't say it like that, but you know, there are people who are going (laughs) to, 
<laughs> some clients are going to really want you to do a whole lot for them. And we actually just had this discussion. Um, someone was frustrated that this client had sent her like a laundry list of edits. And my take on it was like, if someone's going to spend two grand with me, I have no problem doing these extra edits. And that's okay. I do think there's a limit to where it's like if they're coming back four or five times with more and more lists, then it's time to like have a conversation about it. Yeah. But I just don't mind because I'd rather have a happy client who's going to refer me on and me doing these edits for them are going to make them happy. So I'd rather have that than tell them no or whatever, you know, and then have them not happy and not come back to me and not refer me. So that's kind of like my school of thought around it. Um, yeah, I call it client karma, yeah, right? Yeah. So I have clients that come in that buy my top package and they come in and they spend 20 minutes with me and they say, these look great. Yep. That's good. I got to go. I have a meeting that I got to run to. Yep. And I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. And then I have clients that buy my base package and they make me work for every cent. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, but you cannot take the good and then complain about the bad. It all evens out. You have that. You have those great clients, and then you need to think about having those great clients that pay the money and don't think twice about it when you're dealing with the clients that want more handholding from you and they want a more tailored experience. Totally. And it, you have to just accept it. And one, uh, Vanessa Joy, she's an amazing uh, wedding photographer. Yeah, she, she was our one of our speakers point. too for the Portrait Masters Conference. I remember this. I was watching her Instagram or something, and she was like, "Do you take credit every time you have a great wedding and the clients are super happy? Then you need to take credit when you have an unhappy client yep. that's not happy with the results and make it right." Yep. And I, I believe, like. I was like, oh, my God. It's so You're true. You're so right. It's so true. She was in the shootout. Sorry, she wasn't a speaker. She was in one of our shootouts. I think it was for a pro photo. But, yeah, she um, – yeah, exactly what you said. And you sum it up very perfectly. If I have a client that's not happy, I need to figure out – like, take responsibility and make, make – you know, figure out where I went wrong. Sue talks about this all the time. And it's a law of averages. Some clients are, like you said, are going to be an easy yeah. client and some aren't. And it's just it's just the way it goes. So I think that's a perfect way to sum this up, especially when it comes to retouching. Because we are going to have some clients that they don't need any extra retouching. They're totally cool. And some that are going to send you a list as long as your arm. And you just have to suck it up. Right you know, and do it. <laughs> My last tip for if you are outsourcing your retouching and you do want those photographers, if you do want that retoucher to do some of the stylistic work that's applied, like adding mm -hmm. color to, um, like, like adding split toning or adding gradients, um, or, you know, color toning your image, or I'm totally losing the word for it now. But the problem is when you're starting out in Photoshop, you do not know the terminology. So the best thing that you can do is you can say, here's my raw image that I want you to edit, but here are the images that I like the color treatment or the treatment applied. This is what I want my final images to look like. And what that's going to allow is it's going to allow the retoucher to look at the final images and say, she likes really crunched up blacks. She likes super contrast. She likes uh, a cooler tone over the entire image. Um, she likes her, you know, all of those kinds of things that you as a beginner photographer would never be able to verbalize to that retoucher. So by using image examples and sending them, I wish when people hire me for retouching, I just wish they would just send me because people say, make it look cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
What does that mean? I know. I know. You're right. You have to be very, very specific with examples. So that is great, 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 great advice. Well, thank you so much. I mean, like you said, we could talk forever, but we do have to go. But um, I know you are in the process of creating a, a new course. You do, we do have the course that is part of the Portrait Masters Conference that you can still purchase. You are in the process of creating a new course for the Portrait Masters store. And you said you have your free downloads. So where can people find those online? So they are um, at sharkpixel.com slash store. That's shark like the animal pixel dot com slash store. There's a bunch of free stuff, including the free freebies that I um, that I included for the portrait masters oh, as cool. well. So that's on there too. Uh, so you, there's over $200 worth of free stuff that you can go on and download. But then the other, so the classes that I have um, are the portrait masters class. And then I have uh, retouching portraits in Lightroom on Sue Bryce education. And then I have a really important class that's not a super sexy subject, but it's really important. It's all about backing up your images and organization uh, and file organization and all yes. that stuff Love it. on um, Sue Bryce education. Uh, and then I'm coming out with a family photo uh, retouching course as well. Sweet. Oh, I'm excited for that one. I'm actually totally going to download your portrait in a pinch action too so oh nice. yeah that's the one with like 150 different steps yeah i think you'll i'm excited it. i'm gonna try it yeah awesome very cool well thank you so much i can't wait for your family retouching course that will be amazing that'll be nice because we have the posing with families with michelle salentano and then we'll ha- now we'll have the retouching so well thank you so much and um yeah i'm excited thank you for all of Absolutely. your tips and i learned quite a bit from you today and yeah, thank you. It's been an honor to be um, asked to be on the podcast. I'm, I'm like a huge fan. So, oh, sweet. It's really Yay. Nice. We'll have to do your full story one day just about how you, you know, worked your way up to such a great business and how you pivoted into a lot of, photo, you know, retouching <laughs> education throughout the uh, pandemic. Nuts. And so, yeah, we'll have to schedule you on for a full, a full episode. That'd be awesome. Love that. Cool. Well, thanks again. And thank you so much to everyone who is here with us for week 11 of the 12-week startup. Again, make sure you're going back and watching the previous weeks if you have some some areas that you still are really needing to work on. And don't feel badly. This is a marathon, not a sprint. We are always here for you as much as we possibly can be. Ask questions in the, the members-only Facebook group. You know, people will jump on. We're a supportive community. If you're part of it, you already know that. So, yeah, it's been great. And thank you again, Christina. And we will see you next week. Have a great, great, great week, you guys. And again, ask questions in the Facebook group. All right, take care. Thank you so much for listening today to the Portrait System Podcast. If you like what you heard, we would really love for you to leave us a five-star review either on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And I really, really want to encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com. Over there, you can find all of the education you need to become a successful photographer. It's only $35, and there are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 12-week startup program that I love. And there are posing downloads, lighting downloads. I mean, truly everything to help make you not only a better photographer, but to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com.
It's time for me to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Fujifilm North America. If you haven't experienced portraits and wedding scenes created on the large format GFX system digital camera sensor, you are missing out. Along with up to 102 megapixel resolution, you'll find rich colors and gorgeous in-camera looks. There's also AI-driven subject detection and 8 frames per second bursts inside the compact GFX100 digital camera. Hit the link in this episode's description to view the products. It's time to dream big in your creative process.